Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank. Banking with greater momentum. At B1Bank.com. Sewers on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In the age of internet shopping, retail is an increasingly competitive way to make a living, and the market doesn't care if you're local. Customers want current fashion and accessories at a fair price, and they're happy to buy it online. How do you carve a niche in this field? Scott Berg has some strategies and proven successes to back them up. He is the market president in Baton Rouge for Lee Michaels Fine Jewelry, with responsibility for two locations in the local market and a Pandora franchise in the Mall of Louisiana. Scott was just a baby when his father Lee Michael Berg opened the first Lee Michaels store in the Cortana Mall in 1978. Scott, it's a great story about a very successful family business, and we are glad to have you here today with us on Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. Joining me and Scott is Andrea Easton, an entrepreneur and the owner of Fair Fit Studios, a boutique fashion design studio with classes that teach you how to sew, design, and customize your own clothing. Andrea opened the studio here in Baton Rouge three years ago. It also has a clothing line defined by hand-dyed cotton garments with minimalist silhouettes sewn into complex construction. It's a fascinating concept, and we're looking forward to hearing about it. Andrea, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Well, Scott, I want to start with you. Lee Michaels, such a well-known name in this market, founded here in Baton Rouge with stores now throughout Louisiana and Texas. What makes your stores, your concept, your brand unique? Well, for us, it's all about relationships. Uh, the most important thing that we can have is a relationship with our employees, with our customers, and with our community. Um, and that's what makes a difference. And, you know, you speak to how retail has changed. And, yes, I think retail is ever-evolving. Um, I'll never forget my father, you know, there was a, a sense that when QVC came around that the world would end as and malls <laughs> would no longer exist. And I think that the digital age has definitely changed the way we interact, but I'll say that relationships really are important, and I think that they stand true, and when you have great relationships with your employees, those relationships extend to your customers, and it really makes a difference. Now, how, how big is the company now? How many stores do y'all have, and wh where are your market strengths? So we have eight stores uh, in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Uh, and then we also have three Pandora franchise stores that we operate as well. Um, and we have about 200 employees. Wow. Um, of those employees in Louisiana makes up most of the employees because most of the stores. Of the markets we're in, which are six different markets, uh, four of those markets are in Louisiana. And the corporate headquarters here in Baton Rouge? Corporate headquarters is here in Baton Rouge, and we employ about 40 people out of the corporate headquarters, probably close to 100 people in uh, Baton Rouge. You all have a very high-profile advertising campaign in this market, the billboards and the magazines, where you feature 
high-profile people, usually women married to very prominent men in this community. What does that say about, about who you are and, and who, the customer that you want to appeal to? Well, I, you know, look, my, my grandfather and my father, my great-grandfather, who was in the <laughs> retailing business as well, and, and, and my father's always said, you're judged by the company you keep. And we, uh, we're fortunate enough to be associated with great company, uh, whether it be through prominent people in, in, in Baton Rouge, whether it be through nonprofits in Baton Rouge, whether it just be through civic duty in Baton Rouge. And we're just extremely fortunate that we have a great circle of, of people that support us. Lots of competition in Baton Rouge. I know there's several old line jewelers here that were here long before 1978. More companies came in after Katrina. What has that competition done to the market? And, and is it more difficult, a lot more difficult today? Or do you all well, sort of dominate with market share? We embrace competition. We want everybody to succeed. Uh, we certainly want to be a, on our A game, though. And we know that we have to, every day, make sure that we are providing the best customer service, the best value, and the best quality to our customers, because that makes a difference. You know, when someone walks in and they know that it, they can talk to an owner, and they can make a decision on the spot and that they're there and they're going to be there for the next 30 years because you know this is not a hobby for my family right. this is this is our livelihood and it's so important that we help people select the right product the right items so we're not in the business of selling we're in the business of helping people select something that really is meaningful to them are you in the business of designing and making any of your own jewelry or do you all strictly carry what we will do is, is buy from multiple manufacturers, but put collections together that represent our point of view in fashion, our point of view in jewelry. Well, well speaking of design and fashion, Andrea, I want to bring you into the conversation. Tell us a little bit about Fairfit, because it's such a unique concept, sewing studio and a fashion line. How did you come up with this idea, and, and how it, has it been received in this market in the nearly three years now that you've been open? Well, it's been really well received in Baton Rouge. I am so grateful for the support that I have. Um, I have amazing clients who, some of them have been with me since that first class in 2013. And um, a lot of new ones have joined me this year. And all of them have different perspectives and ideas around why they want to learn how to make clothing. Um, who are they? Girls, ladies, uh, men they across are the board? All, yes, there's men. Men, who, men's, uh, men's wear is a lost trade. That is a very, it is very hard to learn how to do tailoring and to learn how to, how clothing fits and how to pattern make it. Um, so I do get men who are very interested in it as, you know, a, a trade or, you know, learning that activity as a form of hobby and making clothes for themselves. So there are a lot of men who want to know how to sew. Uh, I also, I get a lot of women around, yeah, um, kind of like around my age uh, to older who ha are want to learn it because they never got the chance. Mm -hmm. They've always been fascinated by it, but their generation with um, our mothers were like busy in the workforce and they weren't teaching them how to sew. Yeah. So a lot of women come to me with, they've been waiting maybe 10, 15 years to try to do this. So that's exciting. And, uh, and then I also have children. And the children are fascinating to teach because they don't have the fear that adults have. Right. They don't care if they mess up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing because those children are learning early 
math skills and problem solving skills and 3D thinking. So that's interesting because they're learning how things are made and how they come together. So that's, that's exciting. <laughs> no, I love hearing that because my assumption coming into this conversation was that sewing is a lost art. I heard just the other day that Hancock Fabrics is closing yes. down and thought, you know, wh where do you go buy your fabric? Oh you know, gosh. and and is it a lost art or is it maybe being rediscovered among the millennials and their children? I feel it's being rediscovered. There is a rise in the business of sewing as a hobby or sewing as a form of entrepreneurship. Uh, I see a lot of people who they don't they're they're not all pursuing it because they want to have a clothing line or you know they want to make something to sell um, but they want to bring it into their life so that they can have a meaningful craft and mm -hmm. know how things are made and clothing making your own clothing gives you so much choice over how you present yourself in the world and how you put yourself together, and it's an honor. Like, people freak out when they find out. <laughs> you made that? <laughs> right? I had a client who she's been working with me for a few months, and she recently wore one of her dresses to a party, and everybody was like, I can't believe you know how to do this. I want you to make me one. That <laughs> is so cool, and yeah. so that was my question. I mean, you can make stuff that really looks good. When yes. I say you, I mean one. <laughs> Scott or I could make something that would look good, and well, you know, this <laughs> is, you asked me, like, I consider Fair Fit, it is my life's work. I started sewing when I was six. I was interested in clothing when I was, six years old and I would lay on the ground and trace my body and make weird things out of sheets and then finally I was like I'll make clothes for my Barbies and pound puppies <laughs> <laughs> but um, I uh, I've done this since I could get my hands on cloth mm -hmm. and I am uh, I am taught I am trained as a visual artist. I have a degree in painting and drawing, and then I have a master's in fiber and material studies. But sewing and fashion design is actually something I've cultivated on my own through just working it and making it since I was 11 or 12. So That is so great. Yeah, so well, where's the nexus between <laughs> fashion and jewelry, clothing and jewelry? And, and how do they fit together? Well, they have such a relationship, you know, because the, the the, I, the jewelry is the icing on the cake. I should let you speak <laughs> to this, you know? Like, I provide the base. You have to have clothing. Right. You don't get to walk out without some clothing. But, you know. No, I, you know, I, for me, I, I've always thought that jewelry is that extra thing, you know, it, it, the extra that really makes a difference in an outfit. Uh, you know, having those incredible diamond earrings that just really light up, and but you have maybe a simple black dress, as you would know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and or a necklace. But the other thing about jewelry beyond just fashion, though, is meaning, okay? Mm -hmm. Think back to when you were a child and you were given your first piece of jewelry. What is the meaning that that had? You know, when you first got your engagement ring, what was the meaning that that had? I think that if we sat around the table and said, what are your stories about jewelry? What are your mm -hmm. stories? Absolutely, I have many. I mean, my grandmother's rings, you know, and I remember when she got each ring and what that meant. And, you know, the story of seeing, you know, my, her open that present on Christmas Day. And now I have those rings. And, you know, all the things that they meant to her about how she presents herself in the world. And I love how you talk about meaning because that's, you know, our fair fit tagline is make clothing with purpose on purpose. And what does it mean to make clothing with purpose? Because if you think about it, 
All right. We can already go and buy anything that we want. That's and right. sewing is really hard work. <laughs> mm -hmm. You just got to be committed to the skill. And I'm not saying that to discourage anyone, but it's going to take time and practice. And, and likely, like, when people start to sew, they learn that it's going to take them three to six hours to make that dress. And then mm -hmm. they start equating, like, oh, wow, somebody in a factory did that. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. And so when I say that with purpose, um, clothing has to have some kind of story as well. People are selecting clothing because of the story it tells about their identity and how they want to present themselves to the world. So when I get my students um, in that design, usually this is in private lesson format because we're really digging into design. I always ask them, like, why are we making this? You know, what do you, what does that mean to you? And how can we communicate that through the color, the cloth choice? You know, how is that going to make it that much more special? Because if you're going to go to the effort to sew all that, you want to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So that's what that means. It's teaching people a design principle that it's, it's meant to be functional. How many lessons would it take before, you know, I could make something that I would want to wear to a party like the lady? That well, you know, uh, what I find the success rate to be is usually if they can commit to working with me once a week for a private lesson for one hour, usually within uh, the first three weeks, they've made something. Now, they may not be quite happy with it yet, because now they're starting so to learn. Weeks, that's not bad. Yeah, they're starting to learn how their hands must touch the cloth and put it on a machine. But the woman who um, wore the dress, she did, she's she been working with me for about three solid months. Okay. And now she's at that's the point where good. she's working on her own. Can I ask a question? Please I'm, do. I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. so I have a 12-year-old daughter. And yes. my question is, is would it t would she be faster or slower because like we just went and snow skiing and mm -hmm. it was interesting because I have also I have a five-year-old son mm -hmm. just turned five today oh happy birthday, happy birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he they were saying would get up with no fear and it was so easy <laughs> for <laughs> him but you yes. were talking about the 12 yes. year old now she's thinking about things you know and it's mm -hmm. a lot you know so I'm just wondering is it easier for younger people to do this older people it really depends on the aptitude that people have for it. I have a 12-year-old who takes classes with the adults. Now, usually, they have to um, get my approval to take a class with the adults because I have to know that their learning style is going to match it. Mm -hmm. And that 12-year-old girl surpasses the adults. Wow. She gets her projects done before anyone <laughs> else. That's great. And she will dedicate herself to practice and she just wants to do it that bad. Now, um, there are some adults who have a higher aptitude for it too. It has a lot to do with hand-eye coordination and knowing design, like knowing why you want it to look that way. You know, usually most people either work with me in terms of sewing and making the wardrobe and then they graduate to wanting to make their own patterns. But that's the kind of thing that comes a lot later because that's an advanced that's cool. skill. Well, y'all, we're going to switch gears for just a minute and do what we call the checklist. So it's a part of the show where we ask you each a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So, Scott, just to ask you one, who do you turn to for advice? So, it, you know, it's, that's a pretty simple question when it comes to business. Uh, and. Uh, and also when it comes to family. My father has been an incredible mentor to myself and my brothers who are all in the business as well. And um, it's just amazing to be able to go to someone that has the wealth of knowledge that he does 
and also someone that cares and, and wants to transfer knowledge. Mm -hmm. I mean, so a lot of times you can have someone that has knowledge, but they don't want to transfer knowledge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he has really embraced transferring knowledge, really helping us grow as, to be, you know, successful men, not just successful in business, but you know what it is to treat your wife, how to treat a family, how to, how to you know, be a successful person. Uh, and to not be a control freak, because I think of the family business model doesn't work if that first generation wants yeah. to hang on and isn't willing to show you the that respect and, and let transfer the reins gradually. I, I totally agree with you, and what happens is, is that, yes, in order to, um, grow a business like you're doing today. I mean, I see a lot of similarities when you say, you know, that trust, didn't know anyone here. My, my parents mm -hmm. didn't know anyone when they first started Lee Michaels. But I, I think you have to have that control, you know, freak kind of mentality to start a business. But it's how do you transition? Yeah. And uh, my father has done a tremendous job of transitioning. Now, look, are there struggles? 100%. Because everybody's trying to figure out where your place is. Because it's all sure. new. It's new every day, you know, trying to figure out as one person gives up, which he's giving up responsibilities, and as my brothers and I are taking on responsibilities, where do we fit in this? Mm -hmm. And so for us, though, what's been great is we actually have been meeting uh, family, we've had family meetings for the last 15 years about transferring <laughs> the business and how to transfer the business. And so it's been really thought out. It didn't happen overnight. And um, the one thing that I really want, it, though, is my father always to have a place in our business because he had so much value. And I want him to feel like, you know, that he always can help out in any way that he feels comfortable. Um, though my mother would say she definitely wants him to slow <laughs> down. <laughs> That's great, Scott. I'm glad to hear that. Andrea, here's your checklist question. When you were a child, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, um, as a child, I was always a maker and I was always creating things and that was like the highlight of my day was to be able to make something. Um, but when I got to be about 10 years old, I started to become really interested in selling those things that I made. Okay. And so I, I remember one of my first products was a little keychain. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it was a little alien that I called Moon Man, and I put a little butt on him. <laughs> and I put Moon on his back, and I thought, this is hilarious. Oh. And I made it out of Sculpey, and I took it to school. <laughs> it was a joke, right? <laughs> I was like, hi, look at my keychain, and everybody wanted one. Did they? Yes. <laughs> they just thought it was funny, too, and it was really funny. So I was making these little plastic <laughs> figurines out of Sculpey and cooking them in the oven and then taking them to school. And selling them for how much? Like $5. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he made quite a profit on that, <laughs> oh, no yeah. doubt. Oh, I it was just, it was just about uh -huh. that exchange that somebody got my joke, right, and right. that there was an exchange <laughs> that occurred. I'd go home with some money in my pockets, and I was very grateful that my father thought this was hilarious too. <laughs> and he just, he always encouraged me, and so did my mom. Um, and then it really always, it really grew. Like as a teenager, I started to make dolls. And that's actually how I made a lot of money to go to college, was making custom hand-sewn dolls of people's children or of um, a special uh, person that they wanted it made of. And I would make their clothes, like these really tiny clothes. And I, <gasps> it was uh, my first foray into internet entrepreneurship. 
because the and internet, the internet was just getting started yes, back then, right? Yeah, there I had a Hotmail account, and there were little chat rooms, and I was going into the school library and like, hey, I make these dolls. Fantastic! <laughs> and it was cool because I was a little kid in Iowa, well, a teenager in Iowa. I wouldn't say a little kid, but. I was able to then make relationships with people in like Australia or right. England. And so I had all these pin pals and I just learned a lot through that first business. And that's how I thought, well, I'm gonna be an artist and I'm going to sell things. <laughs> and the internet <laughs> of course plays such a, such a vital role in everybody's business yes. today. D does it, can it work ag against you? I mean, Scott, suppose somebody comes to you and says they can find it cheaper online. What do you do in those instances? Well, I, you know, I, look, I think that everything, if you search hard enough, you can find something less expensive anywhere. Um, I'm sure that I can find your services less expensive, yours, anyone's. But mm -hmm. the, the, the question is, is value, okay? What, what, what is it that intrinsically makes value? And what is trust? What is the value of trust? And I think that, you know, as, as the things evolve and service has gotten so bad. I mean, think about it. Well, that's your everyday sure. life. Service has <laughs> gotten so bad. I think there's a becoming a pendulum shift, which says, you know, if someone can offer me a great experience and great value and <coughs> great quality, that, you know what, I'm willing to pay for that because I don't get to see that in the world anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. so many times when we go out in this, in the world, how many times do we say, God, I wish someone, I'd pay extra for yeah. good service, please. Right, absolutely. That's yeah. I, I believe people come to us, for me, to me, for the experience. And um, they could easily take a $25 class on, you know, online and just learn it on their own at home. For some reason, they are wanting to come here and work with me. And I feel it's about the experience that they're getting, mm -hmm. you know, that they can ask somebody who's been doing this, you know, for over 20 years, honestly. I have been doing this for so long. Right. And, um, and I also love it. I'm in love with this craft and I love what it brings to my life. And I share that with my students. I'm like, I love to sew. And when you make that thing and you wear it, you are going to feel the <laughs> same way. You know, and you I think know, when that, that, that passion that comes through. Experience, you know, you speak to that. And so we recently had someone get engaged, but they got engaged in our store. Oh, oh wow. And so he <laughs> brought her in and we, the store was closed and we had champagne out and we had the, and so, and we had the one ring sitting in the center of the case that he had already <gasps> selected for her. And, you know, and she came in thinking that they were going to be looking at things, but he had already selected. Oh, that's wonderful. And that experience you cannot create no. on the internet. You cannot, no. I mean, that is when, you know, you really love, not, well, I always love what I do, but it just it gives you so much joy. Absolutely. Yeah. And she said yes, I hope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only have time for one more question, unfortunately. Scott, where do you see Lee Michaels in five years? Do you all ever want to expand beyond the southeast region, Louisiana, Texas, dreams of going national? or? So we want to take measured opportunities. Uh, we never want to put the company at risk. Uh, so we want to grow in a uh, strategic way. Uh, we see that there probably will be opportunities maybe to acquire different uh, companies in the future just based upon that there are a lot of people of my father's age that are in this business that don't have uh, the next generation coming in. So we look, we're looking for opportunities that strategically fit our mm -hmm. model, um, m meaning you know similar brands that we carry. 
uh, but also geographically. I, I couldn't see us going up to Rochester, New York, but I could certainly see us going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I could certainly see us going to, uh, you know, uh, the panhandle of Florida. Uh, so definitely, we want to grow, and one reason we definitely want to grow is it presents opportunities for our employees. Sure. The more we grow, the more opportunities that we can offer to our employees. And we've always been in a growth mode since day one. My father had a vision of running a company, not just one store. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to continue that vision. Well, you will keep us posted and up to date, mm -hmm. I hope. Certainly. Andrea, what about Fairfit? Uh, plans to expand beyond Baton Rouge or to expand the services you offer at the studio? Well, every year I kind of do an evaluation of where my students are at and what are what is being asked of me like what what more do they want and and i do tailor the offerings towards that so what you know we're kind of in a beginner phase right now where people are learning and so we're staying there so that people can get introduced to the skill and then what i've started to do is explore ways that I can teach online through my website and through the online platforms uh, where people can have this experience. I have a lot of students who moved away and were still like, I really want to learn with you. And so I'm doing a lot of research into how we can expand that way. I think our first goal was, my husband is very smart about um, large scale business um, because of his family and his history. And um, he was like, well, the first thing we have to understand is how is this business not just Andrea? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and that yeah. is a scalability. I'm always, I've because of my background in the fashion and, and s having my own clothing line, I know that you can work yourself into the ground mm -hmm. and you have to find a sustainability model. So that's been what we're seeking this year. And we're setting up systems so that um, I can teach to more people, possibly online, but still keep, you know, the intimate, small class experience that they get with with me in Baton Rouge. Recently, I started expanding my marketing strategy by using Instagram because I have all of these beautiful images, and suddenly my profile it's grew blown, <laughs> blown to up a thousand. Yep. Yeah, Matt, wow. and I had people writing me yesterday. Will you guest blog post for us? And will you? Uh, do you allow people from out of town to come study with you? Fantastic. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I do. So that could be amazing. Absolutely. There could be people who travel to Baton Rouge for a fashion experience. That <laughs> that How do you awesome. like that? Those How are the like kind that? of stories we like to hear. Well, yeah. Andrea Easton and Scott Berg, you both run fascinating businesses in Baton Rouge, and it's great to hear your stories of success and your insights and observations. So thanks so much for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Oh, thank you for thank having you. us. Yeah. Yes. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Scott Berg, market president of Lee Michaels Fine Jewelry, and Andrea Easton, founder and owner of Fairfit Studios. You can find out more about Lee Michaels and Fairfit by following the links on our website, wrkf.org and itsbatonrouge.la. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new album, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. 
You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com.